Welcome to CISO's Insiders Podcast, powered by GRC Consulting. In this podcast, we'll be interviewing leading CISOs and security leaders in the industry for light, eye-level conversations. Here, they share advice and tips, talk about their biggest accomplishments and failures, favorite drinks, key influencers, and much more. We encourage you to walk away with at least one insight that will help you better yourself or your business. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you enjoyed today's episode. For more content, please check us out on social media. And welcome, everybody. Today, I'll be speaking with Andrew Naxol. Andrew is the current CISO of, uh, actually, Director of uh, Infrastructure Operations and Cybersecurity over at UNICEF USA. Uh, going over your bio, Andrew, I see that you come from an operational background, I think, a uh, bit of infrastructure, IT, and operations. Uh, if you could, uh, you know, step in, introduce yourself, that would be great. Sure. Thanks, Ben. Again, Andrew Nuxel. I'm the Senior Director of Infrastructure Operations and Cybersecurity at UNICEF USA. Uh, like you said, I've been all around IT, uh, you know, started mainly as a, a system technician and and grew my career doing a lot of different things, network administration, uh, but been in and around cybersecurity for around 25 years and it's what I'm most passionate about. Okay, got it. Thank you. Um, but but you you actually you, you transitioned full-time to cybersecurity just in this recent role or even before that? No, I've been in cybersecurity specifically for probably around uh, 10 years. Uh, okay. Prior to that, you know, working in roles that that were uh, heavily linked to risk compliance and cybersecurity as well. Okay, thank you. Uh, you know, um, the podcast, as you, as I've mentioned in our uh, preliminary call, uh, is basically our way of creating content, learning more about the industry, learning about the individuals that drive the industry. So we'll be focusing mostly about you and your journey here. Uh, I always like to start off with a couple of uh, icebreaker questions. Uh, if you could share your marital status and favorite drink. Sure. I'm happily married. Uh, we have, well, I have three stepkids, four grandkids, and uh, fortunate to be married to my best friend. Uh, my favorite drink, generally speaking, is beer. Uh, and of the beer styles, Hefeweizen. And I'm a huge fan of Hefeweizen. Okay, thank you. Uh, I don't think I know this one. It sounds German. I, I imagine it is. It's a, it's wheat a based. yeah, wheat beer. Yeah, got it. Okay, great. Uh, let's dive right in. If there's one thing you wish you'd known when you began your career, what would that be? It, it's hard to narrow it down to just one thing. So if you'll uh, humor me, I'll mention a few things. Um, the first one is that along the journey, uh, title doesn't matter unless you're looking for a new job. So, you know, what the work that you're doing is what is important, not, not what name is assigned to you. Uh, the second, I would say, is the importance of soft skills versus technical knowledge. Uh, there's a need for both, but without, without having at least some of both, you're going to struggle to be successful. You can't be, you know, have terrible communication skills and interpersonal skills and, and succeed in your career. You need to have that side of things too. Uh, next, I'd say it's inevitable that you fail at certain times in, in your career. Uh, it, it just, it happens. If you do, you have to learn to fail fast 
learn from your mistakes and move on. Uh, and then finally, I would say probably most important, there's always more than, or almost always more than one correct way to do things. So there's the, the Microsoft answer for those that are, you know, certification nerds and, and then the practical answer. And a lot of times both are right. If not, if not other solutions. Okay. And thank you for that. Uh, and I know you mentioned soft skills and, uh, you know, th this topic comes up a lot in, in my conversations, I have to say, and I'm, I keep wondering, um, is this, in your opinion, do you think that was a trait of the old guard, the old generation of not having like, uh, those honed uh, soft skills as opposed to later generations? I think that it was more prevalent in the past because there were fewer people that had technical expertise in, in a given area, and it might be easier for them to get away with not having as many soft skills. Uh, I've known a lot of people that were absolutely brilliant, uh, could solve nearly any technical problem that you brought them, uh, and you just couldn't do it in a, a pleasing, pleasant uh, customer focused yeah. way. And inevitably, most of those people struggled to advance in their career because uh, soft skills are just so important. And, and you need to have a, a well rounded, uh, you know, a well rounded uh, skill set to, to be able to keep moving forward. Yeah, I hear you. Uh... Okay, and, and you know, you touched a bit about uh, failing fast, failing small, I think you said. Uh, what can you say was your biggest failure and what did you learn from it? Well, I, I think I've had uh, plenty of them, but the, the one particular thing that sticks out to me was uh, there was an organization that reached out to me uh, several years ago and, and offered an opportunity and they had a terrible reputation uh, in terms of their IT culture and, and uh, I was arrogant enough to think that my personality would fit with, with anyone I could go in there and really in, uh, initiate some change and, and be successful there. And uh, I got there and quickly realized that wasn't the case. It just wasn't the right place for me. But, so I would say that my arrogance uh, in that regard and immaturity really led to me failing at a minimum in, in making a poor decision. And it, it set my career back. I was uh, on a pretty good, pretty good path and they lured me away and, and it kind of derailed things for a little while. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And what would you say your biggest accomplishment was? I would say my greatest accomplishment is just the relationships I've built, the people I've been able to, uh, you know, develop a, a camaraderie with and in some cases been able to help others grow their career and you know, make, make no mistake about it I didn't get here on my own I needed the help of others uh, and many people have been instrumental in in my career growth and, and so I'm very appreciative for that and humbled by the fact that others have have been so supportive and and helpful helpful to me there's a, a outstanding community of people out there that that support one another. I think in our industry, it's really a small world. There are a lot of people that, that you'll cross paths with repeatedly. And, and I've been fortunate to meet some really good ones. So, uh, you know, uh, a mentor of mine once said that a uh, good leader builds up leaders around them. And, 
And I've been fortunate to have some good leaders and, and I try to be the same myself and help build people up around me as well. So uh, just the relationships I've built and, and, and uh, in the camaraderie has been my greatest accomplishment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, is there one piece of advice that you wanted to give out to, uh, you know, the younger security professionals out there that want to pursue a career that would be similar to yours? Yeah, I'd say the overarching comment I'd have on that is uh, be nice, work hard, and learn from everything. If you can treat people well uh, and and be supportive of them, they'll reciprocate. Work hard, keep your nose down when times are tough, keep going, ask for help from the people that you've developed those relationships with and, and work through it and and never stop learning. I try to make it a priority to, to research something and, and look into you know, our landscape and the things that are going around uh, throughout the industry on a daily basis. And uh, it's definitely beneficial and, and helps keep you sharp. And you, know, you learn a lot just, just by persistently researching things. Mm-hmm. Let's try to um, unpack this just a bit more, if that's possible. So I know you mentioned that you that one of your busy, biggest accomplishments was the the network that you've put in place and the, the sort of relationships that have been developed over the years. And I know you also mentioned the leaders, uh, you know, good leaders surround themselves with other leaders and you know can grow other leaders. Anything you can say about that, like um, uh, like. If you want to really succeed, is there like any anyone in particular that you think that the young security professionals should uh, glue themselves to uh, in order to really succeed? Well, I would say seek out mentorship, you know, be forward enough and open enough to let people know what your goals are and what you're trying to accomplish and, and find a mentor. Uh, look on LinkedIn, social media, find someone that's willing to help you post out there. Hey, here's what I'm trying to accomplish. Here's where I am in my career. There, you'd be surprised how many people are willing to help. So uh, it, it's very valuable. I have a mentor myself right now. Uh, I have at most every stage throughout my professional career. Uh, and and in turn, you know, when you learn things, you can mentor someone at, a, at almost any level. And, and there's advantages for both sides. As a mentor, I learn things from mentees, and and I hope that my mentor learns from me as well. I think that's a good piece of, of advice there. And you know, talking a bit about uh, the role of the CISO, uh, I know in some organizations the CISO is a part of the IT organizations; in others, it it is not a part of the IT. What are your feelings and thoughts about uh, you know placing the CISO as part of the IT organizations? I think ideally it's not, but you have to keep in mind every organization is different. So I think it corresponds to a few things. Uh, you know, how well aligned is your leadership and, and your organization with the needs of risk and cybersecurity? Um, in a smaller, well-aligned organization, I don't think it's as critical that the CISO report outside of IT in a larger or more regulated, uh, less aligned organization. I think it's critical that it, it 
uh, report outside. Uh, just uh, I've heard a number of your guests say the same thing. Uh, there can be some significant conflicts of interest if the CISO reports into IT, and, and you definitely want to avoid that, especially uh, when there might be regulation involved. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, and um, so I, I think, you know, talking a bit more about your career and all the years of expertise that you have, do you have any uh, specific tips or uh, like anything you wanted to share about the resources that you've been using in order to keep growing, keep learning, keep, you know, better educating yourself? I use anything I can find. Um, you, you, you can find a lot of information on, on social media. Uh, I get a lot of information just from articles that my colleagues post on LinkedIn. I know a lot of people follow Twitter. I'm not as active there. Uh, Reddit has a ton of threads that, that you can find some great practical and, uh, and technical advice as well. Um, the biggest thing I would say is get out there and network and get involved with organizations, whether they're uh, affiliated with the certifications that you may have or uh, just support the industry in general. So uh, among those, I know ISACA and ISC both have organizations that are aligned with them where you can meet some great people and learn a lot of things uh, for your users or listeners that are that are U.S.-based, InfraGuard is an organization that I've been involved with for quite a while. I was formerly a sector chief for the Cincinnati chapter for IT, but uh, you know they're aligned with the FBI and have a lot of great bulletins and, and opportunities to learn uh, not just about IT in general, but many different sectors of, of industry that might be relevant to risk, cybersecurity, and, and overall uh, compliance. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes you struggle, though, to identify which organization you want to be aligned with because there are so many of them out there, right? As you mentioned, ISACA and ISC score just like two examples out of probably dozens. Yeah. yeah. And they're fairly diverse and different. I mean, the information that you get from one of those is uh, is going to be different from the other. So depending upon your role and your interests and your passions, mm -hmm. you know, try a few of them and, and stick with the ones that are most relevant to you. Yeah. Is there one common myth about this industry that you wanted to debunk? Yeah, my myth would be that cybersecurity is a technical or uh, cybersecurity is something that can be solved with technical means. It's it can be helped through technical means, but it's largely a people, a people problem. It's uneducated, un unaware, complacent users are 95% of the time the root of any security issue that, that you'll find in an organization. So you can trace almost any of the mainstream breaches that you read about, read about back to someone's, you know, negligence, carelessness, ignorance, etc. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, hacking is, is a thing, but rarely are you going to find a hacker that successfully bypassed good security controls and safe security practices uh, to make anything happen. It's almost always because someone made a mistake. 
Yeah, and uh, just to clarify, when you say ignorance, I'm assuming you you mean lack of awareness around cybersecurity. Oh yeah, it, it, not saying it uh, in a demeaning or, or uh, insulting way at all. It's just a not knowing what you're getting yourself into or being unaware Got it. of of what you're doing. Got it. Yeah, no, I just wanted to clarify that I understood correctly. Um, okay, uh, now in your opinion, what are the main concerns that uh, CISOs nowadays should have? In general, not speaking specifically about you know your industry or your company. Yeah, there's so many. Um, you you could highlight any particular threat and and find a reason that it's a, a big deal, and it's going to vary from from organization to organization. But overall, I would say that resource availability and personnel and how you address needs of of staying up to date with staffing and considerations that are related to that is one part and the second part again goes back to a lack of awareness or complacency people just not giving the appropriate focus to potential threats uh, being unaware of of you know potential dangers that are out there and, and it extends there's you know if you get to more technical resources complacency can manifest itself in you know, I'm borrowing a term from my wife who worked in telehealth for quite a while, but alarm fatigue was something that they brought up a lot of time. And, you know, a, a patient would hit a button because they didn't feel good and a nurse would go and respond. And after that happens a certain number of times, the nurse, uh, you know, inevitably got less and less uh, concerned and didn't show the sense of urgency that they may have shown the first several times that the button was pushed. And it happens with monitoring and security as well uh, and risk. And you know, you see the same thing over and over and oh, well, we didn't get dinged on this in the past. So maybe it's not as important as we thought, or you build a rule that says, oh, I'm going to just ignore this type of alert and, and later down the road it gets you. So you have to be vigilant and, and stay aware and alert for uh, the dangers that are out there. In your opinion, Andrew, what do you think are the most important skills that CISOs nowadays should have? Yeah, I think that echoing what I've heard other guests of yours mention, Ben, is an understanding of the business they support uh, and communication to let others know the role that they're playing and, and how to protect themselves. You have to have an awareness of the underlying technology and the threat landscape and be able to discuss that at a practical level with the people that you're supporting and up to other levels of leadership and the board. Um, if you can't put it in terms that the business understands, it puts you at a significant disadvantage. I think that's one of the limiting factors circling back to a question that you had earlier about, you know, should the CISO, uh, have a, a role in IT or should it report elsewhere, uh, you have to be able to speak across all of those different arenas and different levels. And and uh, you know, so understanding the business and being able to put the challenges that you're facing in terms that the business will understand uh, is key. And, you know, a follow-up question on that, uh, in your opinion, is this like an evolving requirement? Is this is a, is this an evolution? Is this a transition? Like you know, taking looking at yourself, for example, uh, and considering your role, like I don't know, ten years ago, do you see that there's a difference between now and then in terms of the skills that a Caesar should have? Does there's a lot sense? of difference. I think that I think to a degree. 
security 10 years ago was more niche than it is now. People finally, over the past several years, years started to embrace the fact that needs to be present uh, throughout your organization. So a good example of that is used to be called DevOps. Now, DevSecOps. Finally, people are getting that, hey, maybe security is something we should consider throughout the life cycle of the project. Um, so I would say that, yeah, there's definitely been evolution uh, the same way as, as we were talking earlier about how you know, soft skills weren't as uh, requisite as they are now. <laughs> I think the same is, is true with uh, the skills that are expected, you know, the CISO role going forward. We, ne we need to uh, evolve. I don't think that the business was as much of a consideration or maybe vice versa. Maybe the business didn't care as much about security. Now you start to hear the stories of how it really affects businesses and businesses that that legit go out, out of business because of a ransomware attack or a security breach or, or some other sort of event. So yeah, it definitely is evolved. Mm -hmm. And and talking about evolution and where this role is going, in your opinion, what would we see in the future of, of the CISO role, like five years, 10 years from now? Yeah, I think it's a bit of an enigma right now. I think the VCSO role or fractional CISOs are probably going to become much more popular, especially at smaller companies, because uh, you know, what you see is the larger, more regulated companies and those with a lot of money to spend, they're going to demand a CISO with a com combination of all the requisite skills to get a job done. And, and it costs a lot of money, as you know, uh, a full-time CISO for a Fortune 500 company commands a massive salary. You know, smaller, less mature, or less structured company is going to get uh, somebody that that is not quite as advanced as others. And I don't mean that in a demeaning way. Uh, it's just to say that, you know, a lot of people are going to look at me and say, you aren't a CISO. I don't know how you can even speak on this in an educated manner, but, but I'm self-aware. I get it. I'm sure you've heard of, and many of your listeners have heard of the pick two of three dilemma when it comes to project management or code development, where they say, you know, here's a project. Uh, you can have two or three. It can either be good quality. We can deliver it fast or it can be cheap pick two or three. The same is going to happen for CISOs. They're going to say, okay, all the good CISOs or the, the most qualified high profile CISOs are, are already out there. What's most important to you? You can pick two or three. You can either get one that understands your business and the industry that you're working in. Uh, you can get one that is proficient in terms of technology and, and risk, uh, or you can get one that's cheap, pick two or three. So I think that's where we're heading for uh, full-time CISOs and the way that a lot of companies are already starting to address that is with the VCSO. Yeah, I have to agree with you on the VCSO uh, part, especially now when we're seeing a slight downturn in the, in the market. I do agree that for the smaller organizations, you know, the tech companies, the startups um, would probably go down that path not hiring a full-time CISO, but uh, rather, you know, getting the benefits of hiring a virtual CISO or a fractional CISO. Um, and, you know, <clears throat> talking a bit more about uh, the industry and trends, 
What do you think that we will see in the cybersecurity world next? I think it's going to be a continuation of many of the trends that we're seeing now. So along with the more common usage of a fractional CISO or a VCSO, we're going to see a greater consumption of X as a service, whether it be security as a service, SOC as a service, et cetera, because that's driven by the overall lack or perceived lack of available cybersecurity resources. Uh, there's, as, as I know you've spoken about in the past with many of your guests, not sure how, how real it is, but there's so many jobs out there that have such high demands for an entry-level security resource, uh, they're never going to be able to fill all the jobs. So you have a couple options. You can either be realistic about the people that you're you're hiring, mm -hmm. or offering jobs to, build a you know a foundational layer of cybersecurity professionals that that grow and mature into effective cybersecurity practitioners, or you can partner with a third-party service. Neither one of these is a bad idea. The bad idea is not hiring anyone because you put too restrictive of a job description out there to get an entry-level resource. The good ideas are either start hiring more people and training them and giving them the opportunity to grow or partner with a company that's going to come in and do that work for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree on that as well. And, um, you know, looking at, uh, again, a, a bit more about the industry, in terms of budget planning, did you see it a shift of some sort since COVID, like pre-COVID, post-COVID COVID world? You know, ours has been fairly level from an overall budget perspective. That said, the big difference now is how open leadership and board members are to discussing, you know, evolution of a cybersecurity program or risk program. Uh, so in the past where, you know, a number may have been enough to make people backpedal or, or avoid a conversation around uh, enhancements to a cybersecurity program, not much is off the table now. You can make a case and, and justify at least having a discussion and, and talking about uh, usage of budget on more expensive items or tasks to evolve your cybersecurity posture. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I think, you know, uh, social media and media as a whole has a big role in that because it's a much more, as you said, it's much more, um, you know, out there right now. It's much more communicated, like um, recent breaches, attacks, the potential damage. So I think that does provide some kind of a service to the CISOs out there. Because they're a, they're better able to uh, really communicate the the actual and real life risks that that might happen. Sure. Uh, what would you define as innovation in our space? Is it more along the lines of like a new product, new service, or is it like uh, new practices? I mean, it's a little bit of both. As you know, security and risk are moving targets, and you have to be able to pivot and adjust, keep them in focus. So uh, you have to remember cybersecurity is not prescriptive. So you can't say, hey, we're worried about phishing, and we're going to buy this product, and it's going to take care of it. It's just not how it works. A salesperson might try to convince you that. A vendor might say, oh, you buy this product, and it's going to solve your security problem in vector X. But, but that's just 
not how it works. So the analogy that that I have thought about here recently is, you know, you can really correlate or compare the pandemic to to cybersecurity. And I say that uh, from this perspective, not trying to take a, uh, a stance on whether or not people should get vaccinated or how people should handle their own lives. But, you know, the pandemic hits, healthcare experts identify the potential issue. And in today's world, that's the equivalent of a zero day. So the world scrambles, they come up with a vaccine. That takes a lot of time. That's the equivalent of releasing a service pack. Hey, we found this big thing that you know, we're going to put out there. It's going to help. In the meantime, the virus mutates. And so now the vaccine's less effective. So you have to come back and, and come up with a second dose or a booster shot. That's the equivalent of your patch that's applied to the service pack that just came out. And so you can kind of see where this is going. The virus is going to continue to mutate. It's going to try to to continue to replicate and survive, and the world is going to constantly try to keep up. And the hacker hackers and threat actors are the same way. They see the holes closing and they adjust to find a new vulnerability. So here's where it really gets scary to me. We can have all the research experts coming up with this fail-safe vaccine, and then you have a group of people, or, or even just one or two people, that for some reason can't or won't take it. And they practice social distancing and they mask and they don't go out in public. And that's great until the delivery driver comes up at their door and sneezes on their package, right? So now you have a person that did all the things right on their side, but somebody made a bad decision and a mistake and, and it cost them. So you think about that and in the business side of the world, that's the equivalent of, uh, you know, a company that thinks I have a protected or isolated network. I don't have to worry about being at least as urgent with applying this service pack or this patch. I don't have to, to do as much work to make sure that I'm protecting myself. Uh, but then they have the employee that is walking through the parking lot and sees the USB drive on the the ground and comes in and plugs it into their computer or gets the phishing email with the PDF that for whatever reason skips all the layers of, of uh, email security that you have in place and they click it and guess what. So there's a lot of parallels between, between the pandemic and cybersecurity in general. Uh, the bottom line being that one person or group of people can really cause anarchy for the entire company, organization, et cetera. So, uh, you know, you have the people that are are careless uh, and then you have the negatively motivated. So now you have, have to kind of step back and say, uh, you know, do I have the insider threat protection from an organization standpoint that's going to help me to uh, educate users or protect us from uneducated users rather? And do I have the ability to identify somebody that might be taking negative action on purpose against me? And, and can I stop that? It's, uh, you know, so when stepping back, I've given you a very long-winded, convoluted answer to, uh, you know, what's innovation in our space. It's finding ways to address the people problem, 
Yeah. And I go back and I say, cybersecurity is a people problem. More often than not, you can have an outstanding suite of tools. It only takes one click to undo all of that. It's so scary. Uh, so, yeah. you know, the innovation is going to be how do we how do we better align, uh, you know, our people's capabilities and understanding with the risks of our business and ensure that that we're taking the appropriate steps to to protect them and ourselves and our business's reputation. Okay, thank you. Uh, and, you know, you kind of outlined uh, and explained uh, to the audience what is the, you know, information security is a tiered approach kind of methodology that we've been talking about for like 20 years now, you know, so it doesn't matter that it's not enough that you just solve uh, the one problem problem of education, as, as you said, because it's not enough because the, there will always be that specific individual that will not, you know, will not abide by the rules. And then you'll need to add another layer of protection of, you know, you need to put controls in place, you know, just uh, for the, for that uh, case that they won't uh, choose to deploy the patch or whatever it is. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, but uh, very educational. Thank you. Um, put yourself in the shoes of a vendor just for a moment. What is it that you that you think uh, you would like when engaging with a new customer? I mean, the advice I would give them is to think about that interaction more along the lines of a, a romantic relationship as opposed to uh, a sales pitch. And so if you think about it in those terms, the salesperson's thinking, here's a company I want to do business with. Uh, is the best approach for me to contact them on social media? Should I send them a text? Should I call them? Should I call them multiple times? Should I send them multiple emails? Should I spam them? You know, but most all of those people would be in a romantic relationship considered a creep and nobody wants to be harassed and, and chased down and, and so on. You're not going to make many friends if you take that approach. So, you know, while I'm not a salesman and I'm not trying to teach a salesman how to do anything, what I would say to a vendor is, uh, you know, treat it more like a courtship, introduce yourself. Let's be friends first. Let's talk about, you know, what you have to offer and how it might benefit me and let that mature, you know, just because uh, it's a great idea doesn't mean it aligns with the recipro recipient's budget cycle. And it doesn't mean that, that it's a great fit for, for their environment. But, you know, if you do have the, the time to work through that and, and establish a relationship, if nothing else, it might be something that, Hey, I don't need that, but I know, you know, four colleagues that are looking for the solution that you're talking about, and I can introduce you, and maybe you develop four great relationships over there. So uh, it's become almost comical for a lot of vendors how they approach people. And, you know, they're, one of the common practices I see is somebody will send a note with no context, uh, just, hey, I'm in threat space X. Let me get 30 minutes on your calendar next Thursday and, and we'll talk about it. <laughs> I don't know what product you have. You don't, and it's pretty clear it's a form letter. They don't even know that they're dealing with a nonprofit or if they're dealing with, uh, you know, healthcare. It's, it's just a, a spam email. And um, you know, the same way as you might not, you know, I don't think it's a good idea to go up if you're, you're uh, attempting to get a date and just immediately say, hey, 
never met you, don't even know your name, let's go out to dinner. Yeah, the direct approach doesn't doesn't always work. It might work for some, but uh, if you're not a supermodel, they're probably not too interested in what you have to say. So I mean, that, that's the analogy I would have is you know, treat it like a romantic relationship. Be respectful, you know, be be understanding of of uh, who you're dealing with and and work with them. Be honest, forthcoming, take it slow and and you might develop a great relationship out of it. OK, so in other words, uh, build a relationship first. And then what is it that you as a potential customer is looking for in a vendor? Uh, well, I mean, I would say, you know, I want a partner that really understands myself and my business and the challenges that we have. And I want them to feel like an extension of my team. Uh, I think the most critical characteristic of a successful vendor is that they're prepared in the interactions that they have with you. I mean, time is valuable for both sides. And if you're going to take the time to set up a meeting and, and review service metrics or over, you know, go over a new product or, or offering that you might have, you know, if it looks like the vendor is reading your statistics for the first time or they're fumbling through the demo that they're doing and nobody benefits from that. Uh, it, you have to come prepared, be ready you know, on both sides. Try to understand you know, uh, as a customer, what do you want to get out of that interaction? What's, what do they have that might solve a problem for you? And, and as a vendor, you know, be the partner that, that your customer wants and ensure that, that you're prepared when you come to that meeting and can really hit on the topics that are the big pain points for your customer. Okay, thank you. And I know we've spoken a bit about mentors, and I know you mentioned you have a mentor right now. Uh, are there any like specific individuals or uh, influential influential people that you look up to, or anyone that you wanted to mention here? Yeah, I mean, I not trying to to say that I have a personal relationship with any of the people that I mentioned. Uh, I'll spare my mentor's name. I'm not sure if he would want me to share it or not. Uh, but from a content consumption standpoint, uh, Ed Amoroso has a lot of great information. Uh, he also has some uh, education modules out on a couple of different uh, learning platforms that I think are great for, for risk and security practitioners. And then someone that's not necessarily cybersecurity centric, but I really like to follow is uh, Gary Vaynerchuk, Gary V. He, uh, he has a lot of very practical advice about you know, he's more of an entrepreneur, but but he really helps you to put things in perspective and and uh, maintain focus. So I like his content as well. I'd say those are two. Uh, but there's man, there's great stuff everywhere. Yeah. You can find a lot of great content out there. Again, like we mentioned before, find what you're passionate about, and you can find a few sites where it really, uh, you know, really provides some 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 good content. Okay. Thanks. Um, what's the best way to connect with you online, like vendors, listeners, colleagues? Yeah, I would say, uh, you know, start with LinkedIn. I generally am pretty responsive there. So I try to check that every day or two and uh, you know, can make a connection there and, and uh, move forward after the introduction. Okay. So just to clarify, calling you on, on your mobile is a no-no, right? <laughs> Well, I'm the I'm the idiot that always answers. So uh, I never yeah. answer. It's like <laughs> since I moved to the U.S. three years ago, I just yeah. I don't answer my phone because it's ninety five percent spam. 
I, I'm the exact opposite. Somebody may have a great opportunity to extend my car warranty or, <laughs> or uh, you know, restore my access to my credit card. It, it can't pass up those calls. Yeah, for sure. Uh, final question before we can wrap this up. Uh, if you had, if money was never an issue, what would you do with your life? Yeah, I mean, I'll avoid saying what I would do employment-wise because uh, I still uh, have a passion for cybersecurity, and obviously, I, I would follow that. But you know, if, if I just had money and was going to retire and do whatever I wanted, it it would all be centered around travel. Uh, I love to experience new cultures, new people, experiences, and and see new places. So, uh, I would definitely do a lot of traveling. Yeah, I'm probably the same. What was the like the best uh, best country or the best the most interesting location you you was a, you were in? Man, it's hard to say. Everything. Well, even let's, if you just narrow it down to most interesting, okay. most interesting, most interesting. Even that's difficult. Um, yeah, I really like Italy. Uh, but it's so funny because Rome has a completely different feel than, than Venice. Yeah. And Venice has a completely different feel than every place in the world, quite frankly. But uh, not a huge fan of Venice necessarily. But, but Italy as a whole has, uh, you know, there's the, the mountain regions with great wine. And the people there are much more relaxed and... And almost like a different country than the people in Rome and and Cinque Terre, you know, along the the coast is is beautiful and the people there, you know, laid back, but but there's still a sense of urgency. It's really compact and and a lot of tourists and so on. So, you know, I really like Italy. I like most of Europe. I've been uh, you know, I've been a lot of places. I'm fortunate that I've I've done a lot of traveling, but I can find something good to say about every place that I've been. Mm -hmm. Okay, thank you. And I think with that, uh, I'll let you have back some of your time. Uh, I do appreciate you jumping on this uh, podcast today. Enjoy the talk and uh, hopeful that, you know, your insights would resonate with uh, some of our listeners. I and hope so. I hope I didn't come off as a, <laughs> a complete <laughs> moron, but... Yeah. Uh, no, I'm, that, that wasn't the case. And, you know, one thing that you've done that no one else has done is uh, compare the pandemic to uh, like a new uh, new patch. Uh, that, that type of, uh, of comparison was new. So uh, definitely we got something new here. Good. Good. Well, I hope people don't uh, start massacring me and, and thinking I'm taking a stand on whether or not they should get vaccinated. It's, it's more just a... I mean, I see a lot of parallels. Yeah. I see a lot of parallels between no, I, I, how that's handled and and how people treat a cybersecurity issue. Look, I completely agree on an, and on a personal note, I have to say, I don't feel it's I don't feel that anybody should embarrassed to should be embarrassed to uh, you know uh, just uh, tell their honest opinion. And you know, for me, I can say it out loud. I'm pro vaccines. <laughs> And you know, uh, on a personal note, my my father contracted polio when when he was uh, a year and a half old mm -hmm. uh, because they didn't have had the vaccine back there in Turkey. 
where he grew up in. So for me, I mean, if there's a vaccine, I'll take it. Right, right. Yeah. Good. In any case, yeah, I'm, I'm not ashamed to say my opinion here. So thank you for that uh, again, Andrew. And enjoy the talk. And uh, I guess enjoy the weekend. You it's too. Here. Thanks, Ben. Thank you.